Well, welcome to you or I don't own a boat this weekend. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us, because um, if we did, we'd probably be out on that. Um, but welcome so much for being here with us. We really do appreciate uh, you making the time to come out Labor Day weekend with us. This morning, here's what I know um, about what is ahead of us as a country um, and what is ahead of us as we look forward to the next couple months. It's already September. Uh, soon we're going to be talking about Christmas. We're already starting to talk about Advent and planning for Christmas, which is crazy. Uh, I won't say a name, but there was a certain individual that I caught this week um, loading some Christmas decorations into their house in September. So I won't tell who, but it was pretty obvious they have a problem when I said there's counseling available if you need it. Um, but here's what I know as we head into the next couple months. Um, Things I fully, I fully believe are going to get tested over the next couple months as a nation. Um, we're going to have a lot more unknowns, um, and not just because of government mandates, uh, not just because of the political monsters that are out there right now, not just because of the justice system and all the things are getting tested and worked up about that, not only the, the cancel culture movement or BLM or sports or any of the violence and unrest, all of those things I feel like are going to try and vie for our attention over the next couple months. And many of those things are also going to be vying for not only our attention, but our, our obedience. And all these things um, we're going to have to navigate personally. You're going to have to navigate them as a family, and we're going to have to navigate them as a church family as well. But here, here's what I want you to hear this morning from me as you think of all of the things that are going to happen, because I truly believe things may get worse before they get better. Okay, so just... I don't, I'm not a prophet, I'm not saying that, um, but I'm just saying things could possibly get worse before they get better. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. None of these things that I just mentioned, none of these are as important as our obedience to Jesus Christ. None of them. And whether your side wins or whether your side loses, uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is our obedience to Jesus' commands. And our obedience to the commands of Jesus are being tested every single day. Things will probably get worse, like I said, before they get better. But we must remember the commands that were given to us by our real king, and that is Jesus Christ. I, I, I put this out on Instagram yesterday. It's a quote actually from John Piper, but it was back in 2013. And it says this, Christian, don't get your back up so easily because being wronged by the government sends nobody to hell. But being rebellious and angry and bitter and spiteful does send people to hell. And I think as we think of our obedience and all the things we can get caught up in, our obedience is ultimately to Christ. We talked last week about character, and this week we're going to talk about how does our obedience impact that character and how do we actually obey the commands of Jesus. And I believe more than ever we now need to obey the commands of Christ, not because we have to, but because They've been promised to us as being easy, light, and reveal about the heart of God in our commands that he has given to us. So this morning, here's how we're going to do this. Uh, there's going to be a bit of a flow this morning, and so we're going to first... Um, look at what are the commands that we want to focus in on. We're going to look uh, at specifically at the one another's this morning. So we're going to get content and examples out of the one another's uh, commandments. There's a bunch of commandments we could go to, but there we go. Uh, we're going to be, look at how do we look at the one another's in, in Scripture uh, as kind of the first beginning part of this morning. And then we're going to go into um, 
learning from Saul's mistakes, uh, and then we're going to look at uh, how the apostle Paul was able to make it work, and then we're going to be encouraged by how Moses did it. Actually, that's not the right slide, so we'll go back to the other way. Uh, all right, so uh, the context is, uh, it's not your fault, it's my fault. So uh, everybody's like, she's like, I didn't do it. I know, it's fine. <laughs> Calm down, it's okay. It's just your pay. Um, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Um, so <laughs> I'm not starting off well this month. <laughs> So uh, we're going to look at the context of the one another's and the commands. And then we're going to look at Saul's mistake that we looked at from 1 Samuel chapter 15. And then we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And then we're going to look at Moses. So in case you're wondering and you want to know where we're going to be, you can kind of check those, all right? So if you get to like midway through and you're starting to take a nap, you're like, okay, we're at Paul. I got to make it to Moses. Stick with me. We're going to get through it. We'll get you out of here on time this morning. So like I said, we could have gone a couple different ways, but I want to look at what are the commands of the one another's specifically because I feel like those are the commands getting tested and then we're to learn from Saul's mistakes, look at the Apostle Paul and learn from Moses. So let me go and pray as we jump into this morning. God, this morning we want to hear from you. God, it's your commands. It's your words, not my own. And so God, we pray that we would hear from you. We'd have your counsel this morning. Would you open up the word of God to our eyes, to our hearts, to our ears, that we would be able to not only hear it, but apply it this week. We thank you for the truth that your Bible, your word is living and active and it changes lives. And so we pray that it would do that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So again, we could have gone a couple different ways, but I want to stick on the one another's of the Bible. These one another's are specifics under the greatest commandment given to us is to love God and love others. That's seen in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 1 John 4.21 even says this, and this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So one another's are the commands of Scripture, and I believe they can be kind of grouped into four different categories. You may have heard some of these, but these categories can go into unity, humility, love, and there's kind of a section of like the rest of the one another's that really don't kind of fit into a category, but they're able to be seen. And so of the one another's, there's probably around 50 to 52 like actual one another's worded in the Scriptures, but there's probably about 47 different commands that we are given as believers of Jesus Christ to say, you are to do these commands. These are the one another's of Scripture. And then I found this beautiful infographic that puts all of them together, and it looks like this. So we are, as commanded by the Bible, to do all of these things. The biggest one is love, and then they go into greater ones of encouragement, be humble, greet, have compassion, pay, don't pay back wrong, offer hospitality, do good, be like-minded. I'm going to go through all of these. But you can see that's a big list. And those circles are actually the amount of one another's that are actually listed. So love is the biggest. And then you go to encourage, be, greet, and then humble. And even the greeting, there's some kissing involved. So that whole thing. But all of those one another's are meant as commands to us of the church. And I keep thinking, imagine a church that was able to obey all these commands on a consistent basis, that was able to bear with one another, that was able to agree with one another, that was able to spur one another on in love, that was able to speak songs to one another, that was able to be kind to one another, the the idea of have equal concern for one another. If we were to live these out, this place would be packed full because the community that we live in and the nation we live in is looking for these kind of people that live out these one another's. And as we think about how we obey these one another's, we have to look then specifically at Saul and at Paul and at Moses, all right? So that's our context, the one another's. How do we obey these commands? How do we become obedient here? 
And I'm going to explain how we do that through Saul, through Paul, and then Moses. So first, let's look at Saul. We were in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Samuel 15 last week. I'm going to be in there a little bit this week as well. 1 Samuel chapter 15, it was a story that he had been told to destroy an entire nation. He doesn't do it. He throws a party in his honor. And as he's throwing a party in his honor, Samuel comes back and says, hey, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? And he gets himself in trouble because he didn't do all that he was commanded to do. And the reason he didn't do all that he was committed to do is because he, he had a skewed view of obedience. And I, and I personally can have this skewed view of obedience. Saul had the wrong theology, and here's what he believed. He believed that as he's looking at all these commands, surely God desires the act of obedience more than he desires the heart behind the obedience. Saul thought, he, he's, he just desires me to do it. He doesn't actually require that there's a heart attached to it. God wants my product, okay? He wants what I'm able to produce. He doesn't care how I get there. If I have to cut corners to get there and I don't destroy everything to get there, it's fine. He's just worried about the end product. I followed most of it. But Samuel reminds Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, that the Lord actually cares more about our hearts than he does about the obedience or the product at the end of the day. And Samuel said this, has the Lord a, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as an equity and adultery. Because you have rejected the word, he has also rejected you as king. Now, that statement wrapped up says i desire obedience and even more so i desire a heart that's behind that obedience and here's where saul gets himself in trouble because he didn't believe these truths about obedience i'm going to give you three different truths that were found in this first samuel passage that we would be very very wise to apply in how we obey the one another's or any command in scripture so if god gives us a command here's the thing that i love about obedience Number one, God uses obedience to recalibrate our fears. He uses obedience to recalibrate the fears that we have. 1 Samuel chapter 15, looking at verse 15, and also in verse 24, it's repeated. But Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and to the rest we devoted to destruction. Saul had this huge fear of man more than he had a fear of God. The people made me do it. He repeats it again in verse 24. The people made me do it. And for many of us, we can hear a command, an obedience factor from God, particularly maybe even the one another's, to love one another, to bear with one another, but often we can be fearful of the other. Does that make sense? So in a church, let's say that you have a grievance with somebody, right? Not that this ever happens, but let's just imagine, okay? Uh, you have an issue with somebody in the church, right? And, and you have just been driven, like it, it just, it's every single minute of your day is absorbed in this thought. And it's like, I just, I can't shake it. I feel like I got to fix this. And, and here's what ha- happens normally. We run through the scenario in our heads of how we're going to fix it. We run through the conversation and then somewhere in the conversation, we hit that wall, right? Where we're like, well, when they say this, I don't know how I'm going to respond. So therefore, I'm not going to talk to them. I'll deal with it later. I'll just pray for them and, and, uh, and, and we'll be fine. 
and we fear the other person, we fear what the other person is going to say to us, instead of living out the one another, going to one another, having a conversation with one another, and loving each other enough to obey a command of Scripture. We fear the other person more than we fear God. Ultimately, in that conversation, what we've said is that person holds more sway and weight of how this conversation is going to go than God holds more sway in how that conversation is going to go. So yes, pray for the conversation, but ultimately, be able to face the fear and say, I, I fear you, God, more and not obeying your command. Therefore, I will have a hard conversation that I know I need to have. We need to re- recalibrate our fears. And that's what obedience does. The more you do that, the more you follow through and you have the conversations, the more you seek that person out to fix that problem, the more you're able to do that through dialogue and conversation. I'm telling you, your obedience grows and it recalibrates your fears. And every single time you do it, You're trusting God more and more and more. Number two, not only does it recalibrate your fears when we obey, but he also also gives us an example in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went on to Gilgal, went down to Gilgal. Basically, we read last week that Saul had built this huge statue in his honor. And what obedience does is obedience, he uses obedience to save us from believing our own hype. (laughs) Saul was like, I don't want to obey God. I did this. I'm the one that got the victory. And, And oftentimes when we look to obey the commands of Scripture, particularly in the one another's, we can start to believe our own hype and get it puffed up with our own self. And so even when that idea of desiring to do good to one another we can almost get to that point where we're like, why would I do them good when I'm the one doing all the good in this relationship? They should come to me. They should, they should fix it with me, and I, I shouldn't have to deal with that. Obedience saves us from believing our own hype. God gives us the commands of one another as an ability to be humble. I, I love that about all of the one another's. He could have given us a huge list of things in the New Testament to do, but all the things he gives us are relational and they drive us to humility. They drive us even to this, this whole circle of greeting one another. God's like, I'm gonna give them a whole things of one another of how to say hello to one another. <laughs> That's awesome because it's about the relationship. So obedience can save us from believing also our own hype. And Saul believed his own hype on a regular basis and it got him into trouble every single way. It won't take us long to realize that the well of ourselves is actually really, really shallow, is it not? When we start just diving into the well of I've got to fix it, it's just about me, we realize how shallow that gets. And obedience drives us to saying, God, you are bigger than me. I have to turn this over to you. Number three, he uses obedience to save us from relying only on our own counsel. He says in Saul's thing, he's like, I didn't, he didn't consult Samuel in this. He didn't ask Samuel any extra benefit. Instead, he consulted the people. He says, I think he more consulted himself. And he said, I really like the spoils of war. I'm going to keep them for myself. Thank you very much. And he does so, and he keeps them for himself. And he uses obedience to save us from our own self-counsel. Now, I was going to use an example from 1 Samuel, but I thought there's a better story in the Bible about this, this very truth of using our obedience to save us from relying on our own counsel. There's a story in Acts chapter 19. And in this story, there's seven sons or seven priests who hear about a demon-possessed man in town. 
And these seven priests are going to rely on their own counsel and their own wisdom and their own pedigree and their own doctorate. And they, they've got the degrees. They know how to handle a demon-possessed man. So these seven dudes, all really, really biblical knowledge, don't seek any counsel. And they say, we're going to go cast this demon out of this man. If you know the story, it's fantastic. So they go into this house and they go to, to, to uh, uh, take this demon out of this man. And here's how this story goes. Verse uh, 15 as they're addressing the spirit and the spirit answered them, this is when you know you're in trouble. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, who had, whom was the evil spirit, leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, if you want any visual of your own counsel and your own wisdom, you, I don't know much about fights. I've not been in very many. I, I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you start a fight clothed, clothed and dressed with seven of your buddies and you leave the fight naked and wounded with seven of your buddies, you lost. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. You lost that fight. You didn't win. And these dudes are outside the house being like, dude, where's my clothes? How did this fight go down like this? And there was seven of us and there was one of him. And how did this all work? And it's an amazing story. You got to read your Bibles more often. There's some good stuff in there. And they went on their own counsel. They thought they had enough degree. They thought they had enough wisdom. They thought, man, I'm just going to leave it to me and myself. We're going to take this thing out. We're going to get all the glory for it. All seven of us will split it. And yet obedience saves us from relying on our own counsel. He says, you need the word of God. You need to trust what God's doing. So God desires these things. And if obedience is one of those things he requires, then how do we do it? And here's where we're going to get practical this morning as we go into the last section. We're going to look at Paul. And in Paul's way, he gives us a better way of obedience. And I love this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, if you do not, you can write it down in those little journals, or it will be up here on the screen for you. But here is the better way of obedience. If you feel like you're white-knuckling it through obedience, let me just give you some hope this morning that there's a better way to obey Christ and the commands specifically even in the one another's. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Here's the thing. Here's your motivation for obedience. It is the grace to obey and not just be saved. See, here's what, here's, what we, here's what we think, that this grace that saved us stops and ends at salvation. That grace that brought you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is a powerful grace. It's, it's powerful enough to change your trajectory in your whole life. I've talked to so many of you that said, man, I don't know where I would be if Christ didn't intervene in my life and show grace in my life and have this huge, powerful moment in my life to where I turned my entire life over to Jesus. Here's the encouraging news. Here's the, here's the encouraging part of the morning, though. That grace that saved you is the same grace that will help you obey. That's what Paul's saying here. That power that, he, that raised you from the dead of your own selfishness and sin is the same power that will help you believe. It's not just for salvation. That power will, as we said last week, We'll do this to develop character, which we said character is the will empowered by God to do what is right, God commanded consistently even when it's hard. That enabled by God 
is the grace that Paul speaks of. It's the grace that will help you obey. So let's tear this apart real quickly this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul is who he is in Jesus Christ because of the grace given to him. So it starts with salvation. I was, I was, I was saved by grace. It's him and it's only by grace that I am what I am. He goes on. He says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It produced something. In other words, that grace is continuing to work in the life of the Apostle Paul, even as he writes this letter to the Corinthians. He says, all of this grace was not in vain. It was producing something in me. And that producing led to, I believe, the second part of this verse. And it says, that producing of grace continues to On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That power that saved Paul was the same power to give him grace so that he could obey. Faith is what enabled grace in his life, and that is what is enabling him to, yes, be saved, but ultimately it is producing obedience in the life of Paul. I love Paul that he breaks this down and he says, it's the same power that saved me is the same power to help me obey. Because if we go to Romans 7, we learn that there's nothing good in us. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Oh, what a wretched man am I. And then you go to 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is grace and it is grace to help us believe. John Piper says this in his book called Pleasures of God. Doing something by relying on the strength which God supplies means doing it by faith. Therefore, the obedience which gives God pleasure is by grace through faith. It is obedient of faith. It is the obedience of faith. He says doing something relying on our own strength doesn't solve the problem. He says we have to rely on the power that God supplies through faith to give us the better way of obedience. So think about this for a second. The power that saved you is the power that helps you obey. Same power, huge. It is the better way to obey. It is powered by God, not faith in yourself. And faith that God's approval is worth more than man's, which goes back to the fear of man or fear of God. It's faith that God's approval is worth more than man's approval. You can have that conversation that's hard. Faith that God is more worthy of praise than you are, so you cannot believe your own hype. God is worthy of the highest praise. We sang it this morning, not myself. And then lastly, faith that his counsel is found in the Bible and it is all that we need. And so we cannot rely solely on our own counsel. Do you see that every single thing Saul wrestled with, every single thing we wrestle with is found in a love and in the promises of God himself. All of this, as Paul says, is enabled and powered and directed by God himself. And that seems hard to grasp. So let me maybe break it down a little easier. Actually, I, don't, I won't break it down. In the same chapter, in that same book, Piper says it like this. God is happy with our obedience when our obedience is the overflow of our happiness with God. (laughs) Only he says it like that. God is happy with our obedience when our obedience is the overflow of our happiness of God. He says, if the more content and the more satisfied you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more satisfied, the easier it is for you to obey. Think of every single relationship that you have, right? Right? Think of your kids and how often they have to obey you and do what you tell them to do uh, and all those things. 
isn't it true that the more they trust you and the more that they are satisfied in their relationship with you, the easier the obedience comes? If it is all about rules and regulations and don't and don't and don't and do and do and just obey me because I'm your parent, there's no relationship there, they're going to rebel. But if there's a relationship and they trust your heart and they know who you are as a parent, obedience should flow more naturally. And I get it. You know, there's the doubt in the room. Like, I see the looks. You're like, so that's not my kid? So tell me how that works, right? <laughs> because, but, but, but here's the thing. The more you're able to build the relationship, the easier obedience flows. And the same is true with God. The happier we are with who we are in Christ, our happiness with God is truly reflective of how we can obey. Let me say it like this. Obedience is the confidence in the promises of God. It's the confidence in the promises of God to produce the conformity to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Obedience is the confidence in the promises of God to produce the conformity to Christ, which is obedience, through the power of the Holy Spirit. All part of the Trinity, all working in our obedience. Every time God asks you to obey, there is a promise attached to it. I fully believe there's a promise somewhere in Scripture attached to that commandment. And he's, he's wanting you to obey so that there's a better relationship there. And it's the power to follow through that he also gives you. Two things uh, real quickly here. This is probably maybe too much in this, but let me just kind of give you these two things and then we'll, we'll give you the last example here. But faith... Without obedience is this idea of reckless, soft, mushy, and immature kind of obedience. So if it's just faith without there, I'm sorry, let me say, if there's not any, if there's just faith, what I mean by that, if I just say, I believe in Jesus, Jesus has me covered to eternity, I'm just going to live in grace and live in grace, and I'm never going to have to obey because it's all about grace and I don't really have to obey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid passages like James 2.14, James 2.15. I'm going to avoid passages that say faith without works is dead because I just like faith and grace and it's all about grace. Without obedience, it's soft, it's immature, and it's not right. But on the other side, obedience without faith is stale, atheist, atheistic at times, right? It's almost this thing of the Christian atheist where I, I believe God saves me, but he's not really involved in the rest of my life. It, it, without Without faith in obedience, it becomes stale, atheistic, I believe, law-driven, and cold. And so the blend is in the middle to where we can have faith and obedience together. Martin Luther says it like this, So when the soul firmly trusts God's promises, it regards him as truthful and righteous. When this is done, the soul consents to his will. The happier we are in Christ the easier it is to obey. So instead of always worrying about the command, worry about the promise of who God is in that command. Obedience that builds character is found in knowing and delighting in Him, enjoying His promises that you can have joy in following His commands. A question that maybe you want to ask in this obedience thing. Let's say there's something that that God's asking you to do in a week, and there's a command of maybe a one another that he's asking you to obey. Here's a question that I would really love for you to ask, and that is, what attribute of God does this act of obedience reflect? What attribute of God is he asking me to reflect in this command? Because I guarantee you it is. Whether it's that or, or whether it's a certain sin pattern in your life and you can't break the sin pattern in your life and you've done week after week and I just can't break it, 
what promises or attribute of God is he asking you to believe so that that can be broken in your life? What is he asking you to believe about him that will cause better obedience? Last part is Moses, and here's the example he gives us in Hebrews chapter 11, 24 to 26. This is amazing. Faith and obedience. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If you know Moses' story, he's leading the people out of Egypt. Before he goes, he says, why did, it, why did he stay there? Why did he take all this abuse? Why did he um, put himself under this, this rule of Egypt? And why did he choose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? And here's the amazing weird verse that you get in Hebrews chapter 11. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Now, we read that. We're like, okay, yeah, he's looking to Christ. But put that in context, Christ hasn't come into the picture yet. There is no Christ in, in Moses' life. Moses has no, no Christ, Jesus as a figure yet. He, he, he knows that God's promised a deliverance. He knows that God's promised that one day this would come. He knew there was a Messiah on the horizon, but this is thousands of years later. And yet in this obedience, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth, the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the greater reward. He knew who he believed in, and he trusted in that for his obedience. Even if he couldn't see it, he trusted in who God was so that he could live that out. This morning, as we live out our commands towards one another, we need to focus on Christ and his pleasures. We attempt to live them out in this next season of life. And so here's what I want to do. I'm just going to pray as we close out this morning. And uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity. That's a lot of me speaking to you. I just want to give you a minute or two this morning to just think about the text and allow the Spirit to kind of work in your own life. Say, okay, what's he drawing out? What's he, what's he highlighting in this text, in this sermon about this idea of obedience? And so I want to kind of walk you through this idea that we talked about that obedience is built through the confidence in God's promises to produce conformity to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and I want to do that in a way that we can kind of pray and write these things down. So you're going to maybe need some paper. Uh, we're going to throw this slide back up, actually, as we close for you as well. And so I'm going to ask you to give some time to just look that over. And then I want you to kind of think, okay, so of those, hopefully you can see a lot of those, what, 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 what is God asking me to obey? Is he asking me to uh, not grumble, not judge? Is he asking me to speak songs of praise? Is he asking me not to slander someone? Is he asking me to have the mind of Christ, to agree together? Is he asking me to be sympathetic towards someone? I don't know. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and give you time to kind of contemplate that and then ask him, God, how do I obey this process? So let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to kind of guide you through this. So God, we we realized this morning we could leave here and we could hear a lot of good information and we could hear it specifically from you. Um, But God, I I want us to be able to process it before we go. We've said that there is an obedience that comes through trusting you. That, That as we know your promises, we can trust you better. And so this morning... Father, I ask that you would just give us that, that key. What, what are you asking us to grow in? What commands of these one another's are you asking us to obey? Is it to love one another, to encourage one another, to not judge, to forgive, 
to do good, to agree, to be devoted. God, maybe for some of us, the command this morning is not to provoke. I don't know what it is. But right where you are, I'm going to ask, just, just think about what is that thing in these one another's? Which command is hardest for you in this season? Just take a minute and think about what is that hardest command for you in this season? As you think about which command in the season, here's the second part, is what attribute of God is met in that obedience? So in other words, if he's asking me to bear in love, I can look to the cross who said he bore my sins in love for me. If he's asking me to not judge, I can look that he was silent when he went before Pilate. When he's asking me to be patient, I can look and I can see Jesus with how he operated with the disciples when he's asking me to honor one another above myself, I can look to Philippians chapter 2, who emptied himself on our behalf. God, your promises are, are good. Your character is good. And God, when I have a hard time obeying, I, I know that it's because I don't trust your character. So God, this morning, would we trust you? What, what characteristic, what promise is behind that command. Give you a second. Third question I would really ask in any obedience, and that is this. Who needs me to live this out more than anybody else this week? Who needs me to be devoted? Who needs me to offer hospitality? Who needs me to spur them on in love? Who needs me to live in harmony with them? Who needs me to accept one another? God, I pray that you just bring a name to that and to everybody here. Just who, who is it that needs to live this out more than others in my life this week? And then last but, but not least this morning, I want you to leave with some encouragement. I want to promise you something that Jesus promised us. First, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So let's, let's just remember that. The commands he's asking to live out. He's there with you so that they're easy and not a burden. And lastly, let me leave you with this encouragement. First John chapter 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. This is the key, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and there is victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it then that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? God, you have promised that your burdens, that your commandments are not burdensome. Your commandments are produced in obedience because we love you. 
So I pray, God, that during this next couple months that we know are going to get weird and, and things are going to shift and change, may we learn the commands of one another's and live them out fully as a body of Christ, not only to here, but also in the world that we live. God, may we delight in you more. May we know your character more so that obedience becomes easier. We love you this morning. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.